Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. On this podcast, we've discussed and solved many health mysteries. While each case is unique and the specific health concerns are different, one thing that so many of them have in common is the effect our health struggles can have on our family and even more specifically on the relationship with our partners and our significant others. This is not something that's talked about nearly enough, but it can really affect us negatively. So to help us learn more about what we can do, I'm excited to introduce someone who is an expert on the topic. Her name is Alicia Munoz. Alicia is a couples therapist. She's the author of No More Fighting, 20 Minutes a Week for a Stronger Relationship. And Alicia has been helping people transform their relationships and marriages for over 10 years. Alicia, welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and connect with you and your audience. I am so excited to have you here too. Thank you. So Alicia, is there a connection between our individual health and the help of our relationship? Absolutely. Um, I like to visualize it as a circle where individual health is on one point in the circle. Um, energy is on another point of the circle and the relationship is on a third point of the circle so that these things really feed into each other. You know, the amount of, of um, energy that you're able to create for yourself individually through taking care of your physical, emotional, spiritual, and psychological health feeds into the energy that you're able to really put into your relationship. And then that energy sort of incrementally, exponentially increases and feeds back into you and back into your partner so that really taking care of yourself individually can, can create this upward spiral in a relationship where, you know, you're, you're energized, you're healthy, you have, um, you have more resources to take care of both yourself and your partner and your family and also the relationship itself. Yeah. So I guess it makes sense that if someone is not feeling well and is dealing with health struggles, they're going to naturally have less energy to then put into the relationship. And that's why then the relationship can suffer because that circle, it sounds like from what you're saying, isn't connecting properly, right? Absolutely. You know, it can be a bit of a catch-22, which I'm, I'm sure you've seen with with people that you work with, you know, nutrition and, and, and health and the symptoms that you see that... Um, you know, if you don't have the energy to take care of yourself, to go to yoga, to to meditate, to focus on what you're eating, to, you know, um, develop the patience you might need in your relationship to communicate clearly or to tolerate frustration with your partner, when you don't really have that energy, it's a lot easier to kind of get reactive and um, blow things out of proportion and get defensive and then kind of it can it can kind of take you down this negative spiral with your partner. I definitely see that and I actually have personal experience with that as well. A lot of my listeners know that I got into this work from my own personal struggles and you know we're going back 15 20 years and when I was dealing with a lot of that I remember that my husband well he was actually my boyfriend at the time my husband now we would fight more and it sometimes seemed that 
he couldn't quite understand where I was coming from because he wasn't in my position. Or sometimes he would try to help and he was always very lovely and he never meant anything bad or to do something wrong, but it would almost feel like he didn't quite just know the right thing to say. Or sometimes he was trying to help, but I would take it in the wrong way and would snap. And it's difficult because it's just hard to kind of convey to them what it is exactly that you're feeling. Mm. And Alicia, speaking of feeling, you talk about something called feeling literacy. What is that? So feeling literacy, very similar to literacy itself, you know, being able to um, read and, and write and understand words and their meanings. Feeling literacy is about being able to understand feelings and be able to read your own body and your bodily cues, whether physiological or you know energetic in terms of your mood, and also being able to read others' cues when it comes to feelings and emotions. And feeling literacy, you know, uh, it, it's it's a conundrum because we really live in in a culture that discourages feeling literacy in a lot of ways. Um, we don't, as a culture in in the West, it's not vulnerability or really being inside our bodies isn't something that um, is generally uh, promoted and supported and celebrated and taught. So a lot of us grow up with an over-reliance on intellect and an over-reliance on our, our cognitive capacities to the detriment of our feelings and our emotions and and even to that ability to, to kind of tune in and notice what our bodies are telling us. And again, I think this is something that, that you must uh, experience and see a lot of in your work is when, when feelings are not listened to, they turn into symptoms. And symptoms chronically uh, sort of unaddressed lead to, to illness. So feeling literacy is, is really critical on a lot of different levels. Um, and and I, I think about the, the kind of three brain model where we have our, our brain brain, our, our cognition, we have our heart brain, and we have our gut brain. And so for feeling literacy, it's really less about you know, focusing on what you're thinking. And it's more about taking the time and prioritizing, tuning into your heart brain and your gut brain and really sensing what messages, what coded messages might be there um, in terms of what you're feeling, you know, about different situations or even the past situations that occurred in the past. Uh, traumas or micro traumas can often be stored in the heart and the gut and get reactivated in your relationship. How can people work on improving that feeling literacy? Because what you're describing with the different brains is definitely something that's really common. And I think so many of us, and that was me at one point, point as well, would think of that as the thinking brain. So people would often say, well, where do you feel that? Right. And the answer would be like, well, I don't know. What do you mean? <laughs> Someone asked me that. And I remember I said, well, I feel it in my head. Where do you think I would feel something? You know, because I was thinking it. <laughs> so how can people start to get this feeling and improving this feeling literacy? There are many roads to Rome. Um, however, most of those roads, when it comes to feeling literacy, involve the body. So it's, it's 
it's important, I think, for people, for your listeners, um, and I know, I mean, I'm on this exploration myself, really just seeking out ways that can help me tune into my body. So there are different forms of therapy, there are different modalities, meditation, yoga, something called focusing that uh, Eugene Genlin created uh, several decades ago. Uh, somatic experiencing is a form of therapy that focuses on this. So really exploring different ways that you can tune into your body and create the space to just prioritize the, the subtle, nuanced, energetic uh, cues that your body is really always giving you. But most of the time, we're so high functioning and so busy and there's so many distractions that we have this layer of static going on in our in our lives, around us, and in our own, our own heads that kind of gets in the way of being able to just tune in. So that was a very long-winded answer to your question, but I think really finding ways to tune in to your body is is how I would respond to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a nutshell, just sitting quietly and trying to feel the different sensations or see if any feelings come up or thoughts come up about your feelings could be one simple way, right? Absolutely. That's one simple way. Just take five minutes, uh, put away your iPhone, put away your your computer and and just try to sort of be with yourself in silence, maybe even closing your eyes, taking some deep breaths. And, um, you know, it can help people to sometimes ask themselves, you know, what am I feeling right now? And then just wait, wait for the answer, kind of like the way a fisherman would cast a line into a lake and just wait, wait for, for the subtle kind of tug within you to, to respond and, and let you know, you know, what you might be feeling. And how is this feeling literacy important for a relationship? I can certainly understand the effect that it would have on your relationship with yourself, but what about your relationship with your partner? Why is that important? Well, I think it's important for a lot of reasons. Um, it's, it's something that the more you tune in, I'll give an example from my own marriage. So um, I, about 10 10, 11 years ago, when I was first dating my husband, um, I would often react to him with irritability and, and anger. And, um, and I wasn't really aware of the underlying emotions. So I had to start tuning in more to my body to kind of be able to notice what I was actually feeling, why I was so angry or what was frustrating me. And I used some of these practices I mentioned before, like like focusing and meditation to really start to kind of unearth what the underlying feelings were. And as it turned out, a lot of them had to do with anxiety or fear of being vulnerable, fear of being dependent. And, um, and so, you know, that's one example. It's, it's the more that we can really understand what we're feeling in any given moment with our partner, the more we can be vulnerable and when we're vulnerable, we're authentic and we're not as defended as we typically are going through our daily life. And that vulnerability is what creates intimacy. That makes a lot of sense. And I think when people are not feeling well, oftentimes that vulnerability could be a little bit hard because they might be afraid that, well, I don't want to become dependent on this person. And I could see where irritability and other things can sometimes come in mm. from what you were describing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, often, not always, but often irritability or anger 
is uh, or low grade anger uh, in the form of frustration it's a kind of it's a cover for for other emotions that that are harder to feel because they feel more vulnerable like emotions such as helplessness or um, or fear or loneliness so um, you know if you can tune into those subtler emotions and share them with your partner you can kind of see how it would feel different to a receiving partner for me to say, why did you forget to wash the dishes again? Versus I'm feeling lonely and scared right now. So those two responses are going to get a very different reaction from your partner. And one of them is is very likely going to get you closer to your partner, at least potentially bring you closer, while the other one's going to create defensiveness. Yeah, because so often we snap at people if something isn't done our way, if we expected something, but you're so right that it comes from this other place of often fear or loneliness or, you know, just helplessness even, especially when we're dealing with health issues and really not knowing what our next step is or where they're coming from. Yeah. A lot of that also can lead to fighting um, because I feel like that irritability can be so quick to turn into a fight. You know, sometimes it could be a little thing like, why didn't you do the dishes or why did you leave your dirty socks on the floor instead of putting them in the hamper? And they may say, oh, sorry, I'll take care of it, right? And it's no big deal. But sometimes if you're irritable and then they might be irritable for something else, maybe they had a bad day at work or something else happened. Like you were saying, they might get defensive and say, well, I didn't leave it there or you could have picked it up or whatever it is. And then if we don't really kind of pay attention and stay connected with each other, it can spiral out of control and a small thing like a dish left in the sink or a pair of socks outside the hamper can turn into this huge fight. So what are some tricks that people can do to stop fighting if they sense a fight is beginning or maybe even in the middle of the fight as it's happening? I mean, I would say the biggest one as the fight is beginning is first of all, to recognize that it's beginning and that that takes awareness. So at any point when you're feeling the tension, again, this is feeling literacy, but the tension in your, in your, in your gut or the prickling in your jaw or your shoulders starting to kind of tense up and, um, you know, your eyes hurting because you're starting to get frustrated. So noticing what's going on in your body and even just noticing that and being aware of it can help you kind of stay in your prefrontal cortex versus in your triggered um, amygdala, the part of your brain that, that reacts to danger. And so if you can keep that, that part of you online, um, being aware that a fight is underway or just beginning, you can take a deep breath. You can say, okay, okay, this is the start of what could be a fight. I'm going to breathe. Or you could say to your partner, you know what, I'm starting to feel reactive. I'm just going to step out into the other room and take a few deep breaths. And then let's, let's, uh, come back to this. And that, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that that's so simple. And as you're saying this, I'm sure that people who are listening are saying, well, duh. I mean, of course, Yeah. but <laughs> in the moment, no one really thinks about it that way. And it's amazing how such a simple thing, and you're just being authentic and honest. You're not doing anything that's out there or weird. You're just actually tuning into your own feelings and expressing them. Right. And it's just amazing how a small thing like that could be so effective. It can be really effective because often 
your partner will, it will be a kind of signal to your partner of a couple of things that, you know, you are trying to take care of the relationship because you're not just launching into attack mode or criticism or catastrophizing about the sock or the dish, you know, so your partner will often kind of read that as, wow, okay, he or she is really just trying to, to deescalate this. Um, and then that's, as soon as that begins to happen, you're in your, your allies again, you know, you're, so you're back in the framework of being allies versus being, being opponents. Yeah. Yeah. And that changes the whole dynamic. And, and during, you know, you asked, you said tricks when you asked the question and I, what came to mind when you said tricks was if you're in the middle of a fight, um, I've found that there's a phrase that if you can say it to your partner can be really, really helpful. Uh What is it? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make you beg for it. (laughs) So, so the phrase is, and I learned this from my husband, um, he said it to me one day when we were in the middle of a fight and it just stunned me into absolute kind of uh, awe. I, I, and it really changed the dynamic of, of that particular argument we were having. So if you can say to your partner, what have I done to hurt you? Or tell me what I've done to hurt you or have I done something to hurt you? So just that will, will kind of help you, first of all, put you more in the sense of, okay, we're collaborators and of course, you know, you have to follow up with actually being able to listen, which isn't always so easy. But um, that's one one quick down and dirty trick that can work. I like that. Mm, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else we can do when we're in the middle of a fight? Sure. Um, so in the middle of a fight, I mean, it's always good to take a time out. I, um, I would say that with a little bit of a caveat that if you can let your partner know, again, let them know that I'm not abandoning you, like I'm not running out, I'm not, I'm not just, you know, trying to one up you by absconding in the middle of our argument. But if you can really say to your partner, I don't feel like I'm going to be able to say anything productive. I really don't want to say anything hurtful. Maybe I already have, but I want to, I want to stop. Uh, I know that we can get into these spirals together that aren't positive. So I'm just going to take three or four minutes to go into the bathroom, breathe, or, you know, go into another room and, and just kind of try to calm myself down so that I can come back and be kinder. So taking a break is, is um, one effective thing you can do, where at least you're kind of, you know, stopping the potential damage that can be caused. Mm-hmm. I think that it's often human nature for us to be right. Mm. At least, I don't know if you see this a lot, but I see this a lot. <laughs> and people kind of want to get their sort of last word in, you know, that prove that they're right or get their point across. Yeah. And I think that a lot of fights continue for longer than they need to, because each person is going to want to try to kind of get the one up or be like, but no, but that's my point. You are not hearing me. And the other person say, no, that's my point. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying about taking that break is great because it kind of just clears the air. Um, And also, I think we just have to remember that we are on the same side and anything we can do to shift that energy to exactly what you're saying, to be in a collaborator mode rather Mm -hmm. than in that opposition mode can make such a big difference. It's so true. And one technique that works also uh, 
really well, if you, especially once you've kind of got the hang of it, is the reflective listening. So it's all these things are um, sort of simple but not easy. Um, but reflective listening is just when you're in the middle of a fight and your partner is saying, well, I didn't do the dishes because yesterday, you know, you didn't take out the trash and the laundry's still wet in the in the dryer. And so rather than just kind of going into your, you know, your list of, of um, complaints, to take a breath and just say, okay, so what I'm hearing is that you're feeling reactive because... I got on your case about the dish and I didn't follow through on my commitments over the last day or so. And then asking them, am I getting you? So that's just reflective listening. And the minute you switch into that mode from attack and counterattack, you're already beginning to right the ship. Yeah. And that person feels heard. Right. And often when a person feels heard, they, you know, again, if you can get that image of, of um, we talked about the, the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and the kind of, you know, the old brain and the new brain, that the minute a person starts to feel heard, you're giving them a chance to kind of come back up into their rational, more thoughtful, more reflective brain and not get kind of trapped in that place where they're just, they're just defending themselves from perceive, you know, perceived attack. Yeah. Cause that's also human nature. Our brain's job is to protect us from any kind of danger and someone attacking you verbally is still seen as danger. So yeah, getting out of that is great. Now, are there disadvantages if you never fight? I know we talked a lot about ways to stop fighting, but is a little bit of fighting okay? <laughs> I always uh, tell people that, you know, that the, the, the book I wrote, No More Fighting, should have been titled Almost No More Fighting, not <laughs> too much fighting. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that fighting in a relationship at times, at moments, at different stages of the relationship um, is, is normal, is natural. You know, just like you're not going to pathologize, you know, a three-year-old for having tantrums um, you know, it's, there's no way to just make a blanket statement that all fighting in a relationship is bad or negative. I think that, um, relationships go through stages and cycles. And one of the stages is in Imago theory, um, they talk about how the initial stage is romantic love. And then following romantic love, there's the power struggle. And so in the power struggle, is where we get we get into fights and it's a stage and hopefully uh, and ideally and sometimes with help I know I needed a lot of help to get out of this stage with with my husband um, you know you sort of shift out of that into a place of of more passionate friendship and mature mature love which doesn't sound very sexy but as I tell people sanity is is very very sexy so mature love is sane love <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that for sure. Yeah. I know we were talking a lot about things we can do when we're already in it or an argument is happening, but are there any things that people can do or any techniques that you recommend, whether it's maybe on a daily basis or on a weekly basis to try to support the relationship so that it's stronger, knowing that let's say someone's dealing with a health issue and there's more potential for being irritable or for fighting, anything we can do so kind of as an exercise, I guess, to keep the relationship strong. Mm, sure. I think that all forms of gratitude and appreciation 
refill people's love tanks. So if you're in a crisis or you're dealing with a stressor or you're dealing with an illness and, you know, your resources are low and, you know, you're really needing needing something to help you feel better, figuring out ways to create love rituals every day where let's say you agree with your partner that right before bed, you're going to exchange three gratitudes each. So you're going to be lying there and you're going to tell your partner, I appreciate X about you. I appreciate Y about you. I appreciate Z about you. Or I appreciate that today you did the dishes. (laughs) I appreciate that today, you know, you bought me that rose. I really appreciate how kind you were when you came home, you gave me a hug. So really finding ways to incorporate gratitude and appreciation into your schedule in a ritualized way can um, fuel and resource you. Uh, That's one important, important thing you can do. You know, another thing you can do is to create a time where you agree once or twice a week, we're going to come together for a half an hour at 7.30 p.m. on Monday and Sunday night. And in this half an hour time, um, I'm going to share with you some of my concerns or my fears, and you're just going to maybe do some reflective listening and reflect back what you hear me say. So that's another important thing is to have a container, a space where you can sort of safely feel and process some of the darker or more negative or more um, difficult emotions that you're going through. Um, And I think having that container can prevent that energy from just kind of leaking out randomly, haphazardly all over the place every day. Um, It can really help it help it kind of be contained and also help your partner be prepared to listen in the way they're going to need to listen in a grounded, compassionate, open hearted way. That's really, really good advice. And I have to say, I've done both of those and they're both have been amazing just from personal experience, the reflective listening, especially what I find so interesting about that is, you know, as a society, I mean, I think as humans, we all want to be heard. I mean, just like people who are dealing with health issues, we want our doctor to listen and acknowledge, you know, it's the same thing in relationships. And I don't know if it differs, you know, for females versus males, but it might be that females may need that more. I I find for myself, I needed more than say my husband does. I mean, I think we all do to some extent, but I needed a little bit more. And having that time where I would say something and then he very specifically kind of feeds it back to me and like he really hears me, even though at first it might sound a little weird because he's sort of just repeating back to me what I said. But the feeling that I get from that, it's amazing because you really, really feel like he's hearing me, he's listening and he's very present. So yeah, it it sounds weird, but it's, it's so helpful. It's so, so helpful. And, and it's what you're describing your experience with your husband. The word that came to me as I listened to you was that he's, he's really paying attention. And so even if it feels weird to have somebody, you know, parroting back what you're saying or saying the words that you're saying back to you, um, it, it's, when somebody's there and their intention is to really support you and hear you, just having their full attention on you is in itself very healing and it feels very loving and very caring. So part of creating these containers for yourself with your, your, your partner's buy-in is valuing yourself enough to know you're worth it and you're worthy of your partner's full-on attention. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just want to go back for a second to that gratitude piece that you talked about. And I know that I've recommended that to some people as well. And one of the things that I sometimes hear is people would say, well, that feels weird. We don't normally talk to each other that way. <laughs> right. Do you hear that a lot? I do. I do. I do hear that a lot. And I, I think it's also for people who aren't used to it, um, it's, it, it's hard to, it can be hard to express a gratitude that's really um, criticism free. You know, sometimes we'll be like, well, I'm really grateful that, you know, you took the dog for a walk, um, but you didn't, clean up after the dog, you know, the neighbor called me. And so, you know, it's, it's really trying to, it's a practice in itself to try to have these gratitudes, these appreciations that are very innocent, very pure, and um, very genuine at the same time. Yeah. One thing I also noticed is that when I started doing that, and, you know, we're going back years now, but Scott and I didn't really talk in that way as well. You know, it's almost kind of like learning a different language. You have to train yourself. And I remember a friend of mine that was helping me with this said, well, you know what? It's okay. You can just start. And I thought, okay. And I remember the first thing I said was, I really appreciate that you took out the garbage today. And, and he looked at me kind of funny just because I don't normally appreciate him for taking out the garbage, right? It's just not something we did. And he looked at me kind of funny and he said, uh, oh, okay. Thanks. You know, it's kind of weird. And I was like, all right, I guess that worked. And then I said it again the next day for something else, you know, and it was genuine, you know, I really did appreciate mm. that. And what I found with, that was so interesting is, and this was before we even agreed that we're going to have this five minute of gratitude, because I kind of didn't even feel comfortable asking him to do that at that time. I just decided to start on my own. What I realized about a week or two later, he said something like that back to me. He said, you know, I appreciate that you did the dishes or something along those lines. Mm. And I did a mm. double take. I was like, wait, what? You know, just because that's not something that he would normally say. And again, not to say that he doesn't appreciate me, but he wasn't always right. vocal about it. So I just think it's so amazing that if you start something, your partner can actually sort of catch on that energy and can then, you know, it can almost like feed to your partner. Mm, yes, yes. It's like, you know, be be the change that you want to see in the world. So you're giving uh, an example of when you were able to be the change you wanted in your own relationship and the impact that that has on on Scott and on you. And it becomes that upward spiral. And you're actually changing the culture of your relationship into one that's more positive and more expressive, you know, through this simple practice, really. It's amazing. Now, Alicia, as we wrap up here, can you give everyone listening your three best pieces of advice for when they're dealing with health challenges and trying to also keep their relationship as healthy and alive as possible? Mm. So I would say finding some sort of um, pleasurable activity that really gets you in your body. And I know sometimes that's hard if your body is in a state of pain, but finding something pleasurable that you can do that just brings a smile to your face and gets the endorphins flowing and reconnects you with even just, you know, a small bit of joy or pleasure. I think that 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 can orient you toward really why you're alive, you know. Um, so whether that's painting or meditating or going for a walk or listening to music or, you know, sipping tea, finding something that you can do regularly with awareness 
and, and enjoying it, you know, opening yourself to really enjoying and feeling the pleasure. So that's one thing I would recommend reconnecting to pleasure. Uh, another thing would be to kind of create a community. And even if that community is just one other person that isn't your partner, that you can, you can go to, to, to vent, to download, to, um, to be vulnerable and share and, and feel heard that having, having some sort of, of, of a community that can kind of see it as almost like a safety net that can, you can fall and that community will catch you. Um, whether, you know, again, it's a support group or an online community or a couple of people that you, you know, you have, you text with on a, on an email thread or a, a phone thread. Um, that's really important. You know, I always think of David Rico. He, he wrote uh, a book, um, how to be an adult in relationships. And he talks about his, his theory is that our partner can really only meet around 25% of our needs and that that's a healthy relationship. So the other 75% of our needs, we need to meet ourselves and we need to meet through friends and through community and through activities that, that give us joy and charge us up and keep us engaged with life. So, you know, I think that this piece of, if you're, if you're really struggling with, with illness and, health issues, you're really going to need that community even more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the third tip I might give would just be creating that container for communication with your partner and um, practicing one simple thing like the gratitudes that we spoke about or like uh, reflective listening or, you know, asking your partner for reflective listening when you really want to feel heard. So those, those things can be very helpful. That's great. Thank you so much for this information. My pleasure. For everyone listening, definitely check out Alicia's book, No More Fighting, 20 Minutes a Week for a Stronger Relationship. She's, she's got tons of great ideas and tips in there. Alicia, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and helping us with all this. So appreciate you being here. Mm, thank you for having me. As we just heard, health issues can not only affect us, but also our relationships with our significant others, family, and friends. So if you've been dealing with health ailments and find that your relationships are suffering too, please try some of the techniques Alicia and I discussed today. Sometimes it could be as simple as taking a breath and then from that calm place, communicating your needs to your loved ones. While we often want people to just know what we need, and as much as our significant others love us, they're not typically mind readers. So therefore, Honestly, politely, and clearly expressing your wants and needs can really help them understand how they can better help and cut out a lot of the back and forth and unspoken expectations that often lead to confusion and disappointment. And if you want to find out more about my guest, Alicia Munoz, please visit healthmysterysolve.com and go to episode number 15. There you will see all the detailed show notes so you can reference everything Alicia and I discussed, including her two books, which can help you better connect with your partner. If what we discussed today sounds like it can help someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to solving your health issues, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. 
and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.